Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Now, a word from this week's sponsor. Do you have tons of extra money that you'd like to just throw at a role-playing game? <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> That's why I've had to kickstart my new game. The Gum Belt is a brand new tabletop role-playing game from Geekster Games. Alien and robot cowboys ride dinosaurs across an interstellar wild west. These planetary pioneers struggled to survive beneath the smothering rule of the greedy corporatocracy Levacor. As players, you create characters who must work together as a posse to survive the harsh wilds of the planet Hell, increasing the power of your extraordinary abilities that you possess caused by exposure to the planet's primary resource, a mysterious floating rock called Levitite. The Gum Belt is an exciting game that features robots, aliens, cowboys, dinosaurs, adventure, excitement, but no Jedi. They care not for such things. It's empty out in this wilderness. So with the dinosaurs, back us today on Kickstarter. Welcome everybody to our post-Halloween spooky horror RPG episode. Very excited to be speaking to you this evening and very excited to be speaking to my illustrious co-host, Mr. Glenn Myers, Mr. Lee Winika Miller on the day that our Kickstarter ended successfully. Right. You know what? I will miss the- goal. <laughs> I will miss the Kickstarter, but I am also not horribly upset that it is over because I get those hours of my life back every morning. Uh, a, a labor of love, emphasis on the labor, as we have said on other shows. But really, really excited, very happy, grateful to our to our backers who believed in the project. And equally grateful for those that were in attendance at our live event, our rap party yeah. for the uh, game. And when I say rap, I don't mean what's a scenario. Here's a little story <laughs> I got to tell about three bad brothers you know so well. Started way back in history with that rock. MCA and me, Mike D. 
<laughs> yes, folks, he can do the nearly mm. the entire song. And the I have, karaoke I have and is going to be lit. A real strong shout out to the folks who showed up for it for that little gathering we had, that live right. that we did on YouTube Tuesday the 24th, re- recorded live just before this recording was made was really awesome. I encourage anybody who's listening to this who missed that live, go right to YouTube, Tabletop Journeys, go to that event. We'll put that link in the show notes. The reason I say that is I really want you guys to look at the commentary, see the kinds of things that some of our supporters have been saying about the book, about the project, and the loving care that they have put into us, and we wish to transfer to the tabletop role-playing community. There's no doubt in my mind that they feel that way about this community as well, and I really do feel that it is part of my responsibility as a broadcaster to share that love with the community at large. Absolutely agree. We could talk all night about our Kickstarter. We have talked for many nights about our Kickstarter. I think final it's kind final of a habit at this point. We don't know yeah. how to not talk about our Kickstarter. I think by final count, we appeared on 13 shows to go ahead and talk about this Kickstarter, including the last right. night. With but the, uh, those appearances were successful. They were impactful. I loved it. We know specifically that we got backers from them. That yeah. no, absolutely. appearing yeah. on I those mean, shows brought people to our project. And that, totally. That's, I mean, huge, that's fantastic. Yeah. Even if it was huge. only one from a show, it was still great. Absolutely. Huge shout out to Sergio and Mary from D&D Lorecast. The list goes on. So we we really appreciate the support from everybody. And now we got to get writing and finish up the book and get it out to right. people. But tonight, 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 we must talk about the spooky Ooh, and the scary. Exactly. None of us know how this is going to go this evening. So we're going to roll initiative and whoever we're going to, we're going to deliver games to go ahead and talk about in initiative order. So fan roll desk, uh, fan roll dice to the ready. And let's see. See how this works here. I don't know. This is a little nerve wracking. There's a couple of them that I'd really like to talk about, but if I don't win and one of y'all scoops me, I might have yep. to come through this computer. I got a 19. 15. Right there. Bad boys. 18. Oh, yep. Yep. Okay. Last with a 15. Is yep. metal. <laughs> you know, it happens. I've a... been first with a five. Last exactly. with a 15. Okay. Say, the other day, okay. I was like first with a nine or something. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and start us off this evening. Ooh, I, I bet I know what he picks. Ooh, I bet you you know what I'm going to pick too, because it really, it is a game that we have only got the chance to go ahead and play once. We did it as our Halloween feature a couple of years ago, where we brought Steve Pugh from Dads with Nerdy Ambitions. We brought Mike Daniel from 19 Hits the Dragon. I had the benefit of running for this intimidating crew, Aliens, the game by Free League. And man alive, that was such a fun experience. And what made it so much fun, I think, for me anyway, was the way that y'all went with me when we were creating atmosphere, right? That was the thing that that game really needed. It was cold because it was October and I put on my air conditioning to open my windows, turned down all the lights. So even though we were playing virtually, it had that everyone's on a HUD kind of display kind of feeling to it. And it really allowed me as the storyteller, it really allowed me to do some things that I don't always get to do within the scope of even a virtual game. Build a lot of atmosphere because I had people that were willing to go ahead and engage with me. And it really helped that game in particular. It really helped to set the atmosphere. And that's what's so important with horror games is is keeping that level of tension throughout the game. And I think that if I can say one other thing and then I'll open it up to you guys too. The other thing that made that so great was the way that Aliens is written, the way that Free League built it with that stress dice mechanic really helped. It was probably the best use of that mechanic that I'd seen 
and before we got to the 2d20 system with modifius and the kind of momentum and threat kind of push and pull microcurrencies but the way that you could augment your dice pools with these stress dice and that doing so helped you succeed but always at a cost. Really put a real world, ooh, do I want to try to do this? Lerone, your captain is about to be shuttled off into the darkness of space and that ship is going to explode. How much stress are you going to burn to try to save her? And watching Liwanika contort and twist over that particular scene was just like, it was money. Even like when he had to go ahead and chase the uh, chase like the big bad crawler uh, through the air vent, trying to go ahead and find Glenn's character because Glenn's character had been sucked up into the ceiling and presumably dead. Like Lee Wanika right. knew that Glenn's character was dead. Everybody knew that Glenn's character was dead, but Leron knew that he had to go find his friend more than anything else. Right. Just a tremendous system, a tremendous mechanic to help that along the way, and something that I'm going to be definitely rolling out for a catacon when I run my Cthulhu inspired Star Trek adventure, Dark Frontier this month yeah so what'd you guys think i loved playing that game more than i think should be allowed by law <laughs> it was a blast uh, on a previous show that we did i believe last night on uh, geek and greet uh yep. glenn had made the comment uh that it was uh about another game that it was one of his may not be his favorite game but it was one of his finest role-playing experiences uh and i can tell you that's exactly how i interact with uh, aliens by free league I don't believe I have so instantly connected with a pre-generated character as I did with Lerone. And there were a number of elements that led to that. Many of them, most of them, just functions of the game. There were significant portions of that connection that was a function of just the way you ran the game, Josh, and specifically the way we run games here at Tabletop Journeys, that being collaborative world building. The... The whole setup you did for that game mm-hmm. where the four of us players, Steve Pugh from Dads with Nerdy Ambitions and Mike Daniel from 19 Hits the Dragon, Glenn and myself, when we were in the chat room, we played virtually, and you said, I'm going to take each of you aside and do a little bit separately. And then you gave us story prompts, collaborative world building prompts separately. We didn't know what each anybody else was given. We knew what we were given. Whatever I thought I was going to do was 100% informed by that simple question. My decision to come up with the thing that scared Lerone the most was to go back to one of the things that scared me the most. And I went back to Robert Shaw and his Indianapolis speech from Jaws. And I did my own take on that, except instead of sharks and the Indianapolis, it was a gator hunting party in the bayou. And it was alligators. And so I talked about how the alligators had destroyed all the people he was with. He was treed, had chased up a tree for any who's not from the woods and don't know what that means. <laughs> and was terrified and he was never going to be got by gators again. And that informed why he went to space as a roughneck, not as an educated person, not as a space jockey, nothing. He's just a big, burly roughneck and a mechanic type. And it was because he was never going to be got by gators again. And I I purposely did that because the idea of that experience informing what I thought might be coming was perfect. And the fact that 
partway through, I got to exercise the use of those stress mechanics and really freaked out and got to do the, no gator going to get me. No gator, <laughs> damn, no daggum gator going to get me. And got to basically have my character run throughout the ship, bypass everybody, knock somebody down just yep. to get away from the gators. Aliens was awesome. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. And hats off to your performance in that game, my friend, because your portrayal of Lerone was probably your best character actor performance I have ever seen you do. I would agree with that. From not just for the accent, but down to the the accent and the speech pacing and the things you choose to say. Yeah. Like it was all like top notch perfection. And I, I can't say enough about how much fun that game was and the way that Josh set the atmosphere. And it really spoke to me about what I love about horror games as a player. And that's knowing that I'm screwed because I'm in a horror game. Yeah. 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 As a, as the player, but then trying to keep that out of the character's decisions. There was a perfect example of this in aliens because we had to connect to this derelict ship and our umbilical and it's and the coupling on the airlock on the derelict ship weren't matching up properly because there was damage and we had managed to create a coupling to hold and we all got on the ship but then we're like we really should reinforce this and fully reinforcing it and making sure that nothing was going to collapse involved welding part of it shut which meant we couldn't get out and i know we're going (laughs) into a ship full of aliens but here i am like i'm welded it shut and i'm wrapping in my pants and my chair this is such a bad idea (laughs) this is such a bad idea yeah (laughs) so many moments where this is a terrible idea as a player but as a character we just felt right in the moment all right mr miller let's see it is your turn with the 18 Yeah, so I'm going to go with a game I have not yet played, but it's one I really want to play. And we talk about this game system all the time on the show. It's something we didn't get to play until early 2023, and that's a 2D20 system. So what I'm going to talk about is Cohors Cthulhu. And for anybody who's familiar with their Axthong Cthulhu game, which is basically Cthulhu, Eldritch Horror, Unspeakable Terrors, and all of that, set in the Nazi Germany World War II era. This is set in the exact same universe, but it's set during classical times, Roman times, specifically during the Roman and Germanic Wars. So Mm. you can be playing Roman legionnaires and cohorts, or you could be playing heroic Germanic tribes people and so on and so forth, but the horrors that they unleash. First of all, I can say the artwork is so evocative and amazing. And I'm a big fan. I've said it a million times. I'm a fan of Roman things. And there's some really interesting things that they've done with this game. And when I think about the concept of the 2D20 system, the failures with complications or the successes with complications and and that type of mechanic, I'm really interested into digging into this game. It is something that's on my radar and that I will be looking at. I already know the system, so I'm pretty sure I know how to play it. I'm pretty sure I know how to run it. If you already play this system and you're running a game, call your boy. But I strongly feel that this is going to be something that's going to be interesting. If you go to the Modiphius page, you get this great picture of some type of eldritch or magical weapon in the hands of a legionnaire, or perhaps he's a gladiator. Three people from a non-Roman, from a non-Roman society, whether they are from the Picts or the Wodes, who knows? They could be whatever. The artwork is just gorgeous in these books, and I love the 2D20 mechanic, specifically how it works with. Here's the problem. 
you say what your approach is. The GM then determines which role, what the difficulty is going to be, and the role mechanic. That's the core of the game. That's still the same. It's collaborative in that the people around you, whether it be other gladiators in the pit fighting some dank monster from untold depths or what have you is there. Maybe you're a ship. I could see doing the Odyssey with the, with this. What an amazing campaign that would be. Oh, your group is on a ship, and you're trying to get home from wherever it would be. Or here's the group. If anybody saw the 2003 King Arthur movie, which was a big favorite of mine, love that film, where maybe you're that outrider group of, of legionnaires who are out in the wild, and it's like everything goes wrong. You were on a wall trying to protect the world from these horrors, and everything goes wrong. So now it's like the horrors are chasing you, and what do you do to get home or to get yeah. to a bastion of safety? It's not about you chasing down and fighting the monsters, but I can envision a game where it's you just trying to successfully get the frick out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so awesome. One of the things that I loved about the show Rome on HBO was how gritty they showed, especially in those opening seasons when Caesar was doing war in Germanica, so in, in Britain and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and how gritty they made it and how, I don't know, just, just the, the atmosphere that it had. But it really did sanitize the early Anglo people in terms of like how – Spiritual is the wrong word, but how like present magic was in their life and everything like that. So I'd be really curious to go ahead and see how a, a Cthulhu-style game that takes place in that time period kind of deals with that. And more than that, too, the fact that I'm running a horror-inspired STA game, perhaps I have read through pieces of this book to go ahead and see how I can go ahead and take them, take the themes and the uh, the characterizations and things like that and bring them to a to a far future state with the federation so perhaps maybe it was on the reading list certain talents and foci for Mm. your npcs or your adversaries notable npcs things like that i think they could find a home really well and i'm looking forward to it because now imagine we're doing a star trek game and you go back in time maybe you sanitize and take away the magical elements but we have all these Roman weapons, all these different things. And now we, but we have characters and characterizations. We have focuses, roles, and talents that are outside of that. Could you imagine bringing a legionnaire forward in time? Like yeah. one of our starships find somebody frozen in ice or had gone through some strange wormhole or what have you. And yeah. now they're here. You could literally have a character like this. What does he do now that he's got a Starfleet uniform and, and whatnot? Well, I got to say, I'm super intrigued, too. I definitely didn't take it to, to Roman soldiers and towards Starfleet. I stuck with the World War II uh, envisionings as I was going as I was going through this right after you called it out. I haven't played Cthulhu since the 90s, mm. like that original version. And um, I won't say that I didn't like it, but it wasn't my favorite role-playing game at the time. But I like horror games. I think it was yeah. mostly just the mechanics. Yeah. I'm learning the 2D20 system with Star Trek Adventures, so this could be a lot of fun. I especially like the the reimagining over a World War II era setting. I think that is fantastic, particularly with the depth of legend and fable about how much Hitler was into the occult and mm, things like yep. that through the things going on. I can and see my that. son, yeah. Nate, he's a huge World War II buff. He would have so much fun with this game. I think it could be fantastic. Excellent. Absolutely. All right, Mr. Myers, I guess we are up to you. What do you got? What do I got? What do you got? What do I got? What do you got? The Monster of the Week, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse game. Came up during our Powered by the Apocalypse 
episode specifically because our, our guest had played Monster of the Week, and that was their favorite game. I've been wanting to run a PBTA game, and once I really wrapped my mind around a horror game based off of shows like Supernatural and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Grimm, I was in. I was hooked because I, th- those shows are my jam. I loved the tales of Sam and Dean. Nobody can deny the Winchesters. And I've just started watching Grimm again. I haven't seen it in forever, but that one that's a fantastic show to feed me ideas for it, too. It's a classic, powered by the apocalypse, rules light, story heavy. You've got playbooks that do allow for some customization, and, but they follow tropes on purpose. But you're the one that brings the life to the character because most of what you do in a PBTA game is make choices. The roles come secondary. It's all about making choices as your character in the moment, in the investigation, as the vampire is trying to bite into your friend's neck. It leaves the success, partial success failure, although in Monster of the Week, they say everything goes to hell for failure, (laughs) creates such a narrative. What's the word I'm looking for? Tool isn't the right word, but it, it is. It's a tool. It creates such a narrative tool it does put more onus on the storyteller because they've sure. got to come up with how to create the hard choices, etc. But the players are choosing when they don't completely succeed, whether or not they want to miss with their swing and wind up prone lying in front of the vampire or accidentally bump their buddy. So they're now the one that's in danger. And you give them all of these hard choices and the things that they have to come up with. But creating and weaving plots for a dark underworld existing behind a curtain, a veil of modern society, and then you've got your hunters, and they're working so hard to save everybody from the shadows <laughs> and the backgrounds, and yeah. but they just get they get killed, they die, and it's not a totally brutal game, but at first, especially when you're first starting out as a hunter, you're going to die a lot, or you could potentially die a lot. You're going to get hurt a lot. You could die uh, because monsters are stronger than you. Sure. It's just a fact. They don't try to make it even. In this game, monsters are stronger than you. If you don't figure out their weaknesses and you don't find a smart way to fight them, you will die. Yep. If you look at a Powered by the Apocalypse kind of game, that was very much the backbone or in the DNA of how I ran Aliens, right? And it's because I wanted to run a collaborative game. Because the magic of a PBTA or a highly collaborative game like the Burning Wheel or whatever like that (sighs) isn't just about giving the players a little bit of agency over the world, but especially in a horror setting, it's about how can you take those innermost secrets that your players shared with you and just rip them straight out of their left nostril. Like just like really Mm -hmm. just like make them pay in a horror game and in a positive kind of game friendly way. But how can you make them pay for exposing a little bit of their soul to you? That's really because horror the best horror, I think, is the horror that is personal, right? It is the horror that, you know, Lewinika, you were fully immersed in your character, right? But being able to make that horror personal to you and to Lerone helped that immersion so that you were feeling it as much as Lerona's, and that came mm-hmm. through in the game. That's And that's the kind of thing that a Powered by the Apocalypse game can really go ahead and do, and why I love that you made that choice. It's great that you say that because I've been trying to get my mind behind it because I'm running this at a catacomb. Yeah. Um, and then, Patreons, you don't know this yet, but there will be a poll coming out 
probably before you hear this, if not shortly after that, for the November <laughs> Patreon game is also going to be Monster of the Week as I continue I that, to yeah. try to hone this wheelhouse. Secretly, it'll be the same adventure too, so I can really nail it before <laughs> so, you guys get it. So it'll be <laughs> so, it'll be like the, the it's prime performance by the time the Patreons get to play it. At any rate, what I, where I was going with that was getting ready for all of this. I've been listening to a lot of The Crit Show, which is an AP of Monster of the Week. They do a Powered mm-hmm. by the Apocalypse games in general, but they do a lot of Monster of the Week. And listening to the, the keeper for them, Rev, and the way that he actually brings in. Now, mind you, the the folks at the Crit Show that created themselves into the world, and they've been altered since then to become stronger, and they've known each other forever, like us. So it's hysterical to listen to their interaction and their their chemistry. But he knows them so well that he can pull out real phobias and yeah, in a good way. It's yeah. done when they're hysterical. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm sure, like, if I sit down at your table, Glenn, and you're running Monster of the Week for me, it's going to be spiders and people breaking toes. Like, those are the things that are really going to get under my skin and make me feel really uncomfortable in, in the best way possible. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think of Monster of the Week, and you hit the nail on the head for me, the Winchesters. I love Supernatural. I love that concept. I am actually have, have a plans to play on uh, this coming Saturday, Monster of the Week. I'll be looking at the playbooks tonight and tomorrow, specifically to have an idea of where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. But I love the concept of doing the Hunters, and I really would look forward to because I considered, let me backtrack a bit, I considered doing a supernatural game with the everyday heroes because there's mm-hmm. some nice supernatural pieces that I've gotten through The Crow and through a couple of the other movie tie-ins. I imagine there'll be some nice elements that can be reskinned as supernatural by way of the Highlander books, so on and so forth. And I was really looking forward to that kind of thing with that game. But one of the elements that I think would be harder to do, not impossible, but harder to do with a 5e port that I think would be much easier to be a part of in a Powered by the Apocalypse port is the concept of you can defeat said monster, but you have to have these implements. So if you think of Supernatural, you can't kill a ghost with salt, but you can keep it out or a demon with salt. But you can make them uncomfortable or keep them out of an, uh, an area if you do a thing. I think that works better in a game like Monster of the Week than it does in D&D. Uh, sure, because D&D or, gets too lost in the mechanics port. of it. Yeah, if I'm using salt, but it's a super powerful demon, does it still work? And I have to go. Yep. it's going to have to yep. go ahead and make like a wisdom check to go ahead and see if it can go What's ahead and cross the What's its resistance anyway, to this thing uh, versus exactly. with Powered by the Apocalypse, it's much more narrative. It's yeah. – this whole thing happens or it doesn't. I, yeah. You swing an iron thing through them, they disappear for a moment. They'll pop back up, and it doesn't take long, but they get to decide where they pop back up. So now you're yeah. not facing them, and they come up behind your friend, and then they take out your friend. You got, for a supernatural game, you've got all kinds of extra content you could pull from now, too, since they became part of the DC universe in 2020. Yeah. But you also have, by way of Monster of the Week, you could also do Scooby-Doo because uh, mm-hmm. sure could. they were also on, on uh, Supernatural as well. There's so or many Ghostbusters. Cool Ghostbusters or, or, yeah, there's, there's so many interesting ways you can slice that particular thing. I really look forward to Monster of the Week. I love Power by the Apocalypse in general. I'm a fraidy cat when it comes to horror stuff. <laughs> I really look yeah. forward to the immersion because – And then being able to walk away and not actually be scared anymore. Yeah. Yep. Glenn was kind. He set up the game to be 
played during the day. So I have <laughs> uh, several hours where I can go watch cartoons and, and not rock myself and to sleep crying. I'll try not to scare you too bad. All right. So we're going to go ahead and step away here for a quick commercial, and then uh, we'll be back with round two. Hang tight. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we've leveled up our game, and we're prepared to make your next role legendary. We've just started a partnership with Fanroll Dice, and they have over 300 product options to choose from. Gemstone, metal, new liquid core dice, and so much more. Better yet, listeners to the Tabletop Journeys podcast can get 10% off on their orders when they follow the link below and use discount code PODCAST10. A portion of these purchases come back to us, and this is a great way for you to help support the show. Okay, we are back with the second half of our show. Uh, fan roll dice to the ready, gentlemen. Let's see who gets to go. What order we're going in for round two here? That's a natural 20 for me. Oh. I yeah. got a test again. No! I, 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 you know what? My silicon fan roll dice, they're going to be the dice that are going to have to come with me to a catacon, I think. If I'm rolling this well, although actually I wouldn't want any of these. Uh, if they're rolling 19s and 20s, I don't want them at a catacon. I want to. Uh, a silicon, so. did you? I thought you got the liquid filled. No. I, so actually, I did get the liquid filled. I, uh, I don't think I have shown this on camera yet. Not that we're recording on camera right now. But yeah, I, so I did get the liquid filled. I got the big boy liquid filled. I will show it here. So this is my big giganto. This is probably about two and a half inches. So nice liquid filled core there. But gotcha. the dice that I, so it wasn't for a whole set. It was just that one big D20. It cool. was just the one big D20. But no, my and very much these these silicon fan roll dice have become my everyday dice for sure. But well, the silicon makes them less clackety clack anyway, right? They do make them less clackety clack, exactly, which is why I use them on so many of our actual plays like that, is because no more clackety clacks. <clears throat> so within yep. here in round two, I am gonna go ahead and lead off this time. Uh and Man, I kept going back and forth on two different ones. I went with one like mainstreamy one, and then one that is—it's probably mainstream now, but it's a little bit more independent. I'm going to go with the indie one, and I'm going to talk about Ten Candles, which is not a game that I have played, but it is a game that I have watched a lot of because I was thinking about some way to go ahead and do a virtual one for a Halloween episode this year. We were uh, Once again this year, we were trying to go ahead and get together like a, an, an actual play with some podcast friends for Halloween. And I was trying to work out how to do 10 Candles virtually. For those of you that aren't familiar with 10 Candles, basically 10 Candles is a game that is about the end of the world, right? All of the players at 10 Candles are going to die at the end of the game. But all of them have a burning desire that they are desperate to accomplish before the game is done. And the reason why it's called 10 Candles is because on the game table are 10 candles, lit or either real candles or electronic or whatever, but basically 10 points of light. And the the candles represent the scenes that are going to happen in this game. And the game ends when the last candle is extinguished. You want to talk about like atmosphere and environment and how to really bring your players in. The room is going to get progressively darker as the game goes on. And I mean, players can die in other ways too, but all of them are going to be dead by the end of the game. And the whole thing is that basically it's, the it's again, the end of the world. And sometimes players just disappear. That's just like the way that it goes. But that when all 10 candles are extinguished, the game is also done over. And man, like I have watched games of it 
it's a couple hours to get through, but uh, but man, just you want to talk about a game that like so captures like the atmosphere, but player engagement and everything like that because the very quality of the room that you're playing in kind of takes on the character of the game, and it's getting progressively darker and darker as the character that are playing lose their ability to do that driving determination that or that driving desire that they want to do so badly before the end of the world, and it can be there are any number of things that can make up what that desire is. <clears throat> but each of the players gains a, a sense of desperation as the game goes on if they have not been able to accomplish that burning desire. And so it is very much, it has a lot of like psychological elements to it. It has a lot of kind of, again, kind of those tangible room elements to it. So it's a game that I've studied a lot of and that I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if I can work out how to make it happen virtually and still retain that feeling of what a game is like in real life. But yeah, so I, have you guys heard of that about that at all? Or, or read anything on it or anything? I've heard about that game, but I've heard about it from you during a previous broadcast. You've talked about it on a couple different occasions, probably two or three here or there, sure, uh, yeah. in varying degrees of detail. And it always intrigued me very much some of the Vampire the Masquerade parlor games that we've played in the past. Exactly. Uh, very uh, much. I would definitely say that feels like it is in the parlor game genre of TTRPGs. Yep. In fact, uh, Vampire in, the Masquerade was the other game if I didn't go with 10 Candles. That's the one I expected you to go with those vampire. What I can say about about 10 Candles is I love the thought about it. And what I really love is your thought about how do I incorporate this into other games? So I could see 10 Candles being incorporated into a Vampire the Masquerade game. I'm talking the old version of Vampire Masquerade that we used to play, right? World of Darkness, Vampire Masquerade. So you have a Camarilla meeting where the prince has his Seneschal hold a meeting and a bunch of others. The prince is in the meeting. Everybody's in this room. Like, you need to settle this dispute. And at the end, you know, we'll see how it is. And then the door closes. And then the Seneschal, who may have already acquiesced, that being an NPC character, then tells the other players – You all have things that you need to accomplish, but understand this. Only one of you exits. Now, of course, with player consent, everybody knows it's a 10 candle scene, right? So only there, like nobody gets out of this, right? But then the the characters don't know that the characters are angling as though one of them gets out. And then at the end, whatever resolution comes for all these separate intrigues and things that they're trying to do in this sealed environment, when it's all said and done, they're all extinguished, and the Seneschal emerges with the victory for the prince. And then you can use that as a catalyst for the start of a whole new game. Yeah. Like the rest of your campaign could be all these vampires. <laughs> like yep. what happened to my sire? What happened to my project? What happened to my primogen? Oh, oh God. Yeah. yeah. That'd be yeah. fabulous. I th- that was the coup, or that's how the primogen council was completely replaced. Or better yet, that was how the Sabbat overthrew the city. Oh man, the the prince is secretly Sabat. Yes, nice. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I I I truly see that as being a way to start an entire campaign. I definitely like Maybe. where you're headed with bringing the concept into other things because um, your explanation of it, Josh, was a counterpoint to my reading about it for the first time on the website. Once you said it, I pulled it up. Um, (laughs) Well done. (laughs) And it sounds fantastic. I want to play. Yeah. But I get what you're saying about how would you do it virtually? Because with part of the element, one of the main elements of the game being that physical 
countdown of the candles yeah. and the dimming environment for yeah, yeah the that would be is, the, the world is melting away yeah that would be very difficult to reproduce on the tabletop you could come up with something i'm sure that would let you change sure. icons on the screen and have icons that look like lit candles yeah, and then put exactly. them out but it just it wouldn't be the same because everybody well you can make everybody turn their lights out but still they'd have their computer yeah. monitor as light yeah 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 you could make it happen you just wouldn't have the same mm, Yep, gravitas. But I want to yeah, exactly. play. When we get a chance at some point, <laughs> yep. when we're all together in a real yep. life environment, we yep. should definitely. I think we do it out. absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be a fantastic game if we ever have the opportunity to go to a faculty retreat with the RPG Academy. Folks. Yes. Yep. Play Ooh, ten candles yeah. with those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That'd be all hot. Right. <clears throat> Michael, you heard it. If you uh, let us know when the next faculty retreat is, we're bringing ten candles with us. So yeah, it's, you know. All right. So who had second in round two here? That would be 12, me. Right? Yep. That right, would man. be me. So I tossed around a couple ideas, and thank you for letting me scratch the itch. I got Vampire the Masquerade out. Yep. Of I also wanted to get that Vampire the Masquerade out there. So yeah. like, I, I so, appreciate you uh, opening that door and letting me walk through. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I will say this about that game, and then I'll get on to my actual pick here. I have not played any of the newer games. Hunter the Reckoning was the last World of yep. Darkness book I bought. I actually bought like – yeah. another hunter book or something but but that's the last game that i played where i played that product was used and i remember saying i desperately want to be a part of this game i want to play this faction next time around shameless plug but what i really <laughs> want to do is say that i am big on that version of world of darkness that's not to naysay any of the other things but that's where yep. i cut my teeth that's where i first drew blood as it were uh, I, I have backed the new one, and I'm anxiously waiting so, to see when it comes in to see if it's any good. So since it's your turn now, Lee Wanika, and you're choosing to expound, continue to expound upon Vampire the Masquerade, then that is your pick? No, I, I was actually just wrapping that up. So, Are you sure? <laughs> mostly. For my pick, I'm going to go to a fantasy setting book to get my, what I think would work really well for horror. And I truly believe that Against the Dark Master. I was just going to say is, Against the Dark Master. Uh, Great uh, choice. Uh, stone cold victor in, in this determination whether it be you're setting the mood with uh, the various music and i'm thinking some of the really deeply disturbing dark metal that you, that, that we've heard back in the day mm-hmm. whether it's just uh, putting the for whom the bell tolls on a repeat as your party moves through an abandoned town where there's no bodies but occasionally little smears of blood things are not right The rats even look sickly. The fields are fallow. The clouds roll ominously in the hills. And the birds fly away from the town. I just think that if you can have imagery like that, and then you can have some of those fantastic mechanics as far as corruption and the way you build the enemies and the villains. And you can really get seriously deep and dark and horrifying. We found very quickly when we played in our game, which was not to a horror level, by the way, the hordes, the bandits, the mobs that we fought were freaking scary. Because, yeah, we, we found it very easy to make the determination between fighting them and running from them. And running from them was not a guarantee. It was not like, oh, we're out and we turned a corner and, oh, we get a long rest. It was, they're hunting us now. 
We yeah. had to hide and hope they didn't find us. And we really – that game really gave you that fellowship of the ring. Everybody's hiding under the rotted trunk while the Nazgul stood over the moment. We had that moment in the game. And I think moments mm-hmm. like that are truly horrifying. And I think that really gives them a macabre aspect. If you're going against a coven of hags or a cult of, of worshipers of some ancient evil, I think against the Dark Master is uh, – the way to go. If you want to do horror and fantasy against the Dark Master, get your dice, get your friends, get that amazing book, and have at it. Build that together. The game design includes collaborative world building. You build your threat and your enemy together, and then you can go from there. And it's just a fantastic experience. Friend of the show, member of the Facebook community here at Tabletop Journeys, Kevin Burrup actually brought this game to our attention. He got us into, into the game. We were able to bring along Danilo from Thinking Critically as we brought on the creators of the game and got to play an amazing session. We have great things that came out of the game, including Road Bacon, mm-hmm. that were just amazing and fun. But Available uh, in our uh, episode history as one of absolutely. our earlier actual plays, if you want That's to right. give it a listen. Absolutely. And I think that really is where to go if you want high fantasy horror. Yeah. That's That's a a great choice, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Mm. I hadn't thought about that until you mentioned it, but it is an amazing choice. You're absolutely correct. And I think that, again, part of it is because of the way you build the bad guys at the very beginning of the game, right? Mm -hmm. And again, it gives the players investment in what is going wrong in the game world. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous choice. Look at Against the Dark Master and its direct callouts for where it comes from. When we say high fantasy and we mentioned Lord of the Rings, but the creator straight up put in the book that this is a huge inspiration for them from the Lord of the Rings style high fantasy and Tolkien-esque fantasy. And they give some other examples as well. Beowulf. And it's just that style of fantasy is just a naturally darker style. I mean, we don't think of the Lord of the Rings movies as a horror movie as a horror story specifically it's war it's struggle but if you look at the elements of the enemy and you look at the elements of the nazgul and you look at the way that sauron's forces and corruption just spreads out it is horrific and there are horrific or horror style scenes in the film and it Totally, as soon as you said it, 100% vibed for me for Against the Dark Master and Fantasy because those same vibes, they brought right into that game with the way that you, as Josh mentioned, with your storyteller, you build the bad guy together. You come up with their name, their their motivation, their chief minions and lackeys, and you help flesh out the one enemy in this world that you're fighting against. And that brings all kinds, that personalization helps bring that horror element to it too. So I think that's a great choice. I'm not going to say it's the hands-down best choice for fantasy uh, horror, simply because of my answer in a second, but not because yeah, I, I think mine's say. better, just because I think both are good depending on the style you're going for. Yeah. Yep. I, I want to mention, for those who give the One Ring television show a chance, they have even better and more horror scenes within the early episodes of that show that really lend themselves to those more horrific and scary elements of Tolkien fantasy. Long I think are very, episodes, though. I think they're long episodes, and I'm not going to get into because we don't do that show anymore. Right now, a deep cut on that show, but I really enjoyed what I've seen of it. I haven't finished it all, but I can tell you there were scenes, especially in the tunnels and the monsters and the goblins and the orcs, that I can tell you were 
they had horror elements big time. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. All right, cool. All right, Mr. Myers, I guess with that, then you get to go ahead and wrap out round two here. So what do you think was the best game? I don't think there's a best game for horror. And I'll actually preface my answer with that first. I think that you can take just about any role-playing game that you're playing, probably even the My Little Pony one or Care Bears, because I I bet you could. If you and your players agree, because we didn't cover this at the beginning very heavily, maybe we should have, but if you're running horror, everyone needs to be on board. It should be in your session zero. The types of horror you plan to use should be brought up to make sure everybody's okay with it if you're using body horror, mind horror, etc. Just to make sure that you don't wind up freaking anybody out and everybody can have a good time being scared, right? So that's important. Once you've established that, you can bring horror elements into any game. So I don't think there's a best. But I think Against the Dark Master is fantastic, and I am also a big fan of Ravenloft. I know Watsy's on the shit list. I know Watsy's on the shit list, but <laughs> I can't not bring up Ravenloft because my D&D world, my homebrew world is a domain of dread. And so when I say Ravenloft, understand that I don't specifically just mean Curse of Strahd. Story's fantastic. But the book Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft is probably tied for my favorite book that's come out that we've reviewed with Call of the Nether Deep. Okay. Okay, it's a fa- it was a fantastic guide to horror and how to bring it into your game and introduce it to your players and talk to them about what would be okay. And I really loved that, not just as a, a setting, but also as a resource, because I am a horror storyteller. I realized this a little while ago. And I cannot tell horror, but no matter what I do, when I go into my descriptions, when I set up my scenes, I almost always build that suspense. I almost always have that that maniacal crazy dude who just he's totally creepy and weirding you out as he yells weird things for the other end of the cave while you're chasing him. And that's just I bring those things to my game naturally. I create monsters like the Oblivion Mind Leech. Or the Drowned Hungerers that were in the Mm -hmm. Adventure Starters in our last book. That's the way my mind tends to head already. So I'm already there. That's why my world became a Domain of Dread. And I just think that while there's some struggles in general with the main company out there, especially with all of the other 5e ports that we have coming out, and Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft being 5e compatible will work with any of them. Bringing those horror elements to your fantasy game, whether you're rocking a pirates game and you truly go Pirates of the Caribbean a la the movies with the undead crew, or you're working something based off of something a little Sleepy Hollow-ish with some Hansel and Gretel things going on in the woods, whatever you're doing to bring horror to your game, that book can help inform it and help you develop it better, in my opinion. I put forth that 5e is a good system for horror. Interesting. Agree with me or bash me as you will. We've done a lot on Ravenloft before, right? We've talked about Van Richten's. We talked about Lamordia, right? Like you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that Ravenloft is an interesting palette for horror. I hadn't so, thought about 5e, though. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Luna. I think it would work. And like I was thinking about with Everyday Heroes, and I decided that other games might be better than that at, at this, specifically Powered by the Apocalypse, and I do feel strongly that it would be. When I think about Ravenloft and I think about 5e for horror, I think the biggest challenge is you have to be limiting, and more so than I typically prefer to be limiting in a game. By that, I mean level. 
I don't think that you level 5e characters beyond 4 and get horror. Oh, yeah. You don't have anything to be scared of anymore. Not wrong. Further, I think you have to put some kind of world-building governors on spellcasting or per, or, or perhaps classes. And I lean specifically towards paladins and or clerics. If everybody can be healed and or resurrected through the use of abilities that they have access to either by virtue of being a character or by virtue of it only costs X to buy Y. Horror is not there. Why would you be scared if I die as long as they have a lock of my hair, 800 gold or whatever the number may be, and access to the next town over, they can bring me back. Horror and fear are gone. But when you have governors, like if you play with the gritty gritty combat rules where such a, a short rest is eight hours, a long rest is one week at home, not adventuring. And then you limit your available classes so that perhaps there are no wizards, there are only warlocks. Or mm. sorcerer, no wizards, but there are only sorcerers only or sorcerers, warlocks. Yeah. Yep. So now you're very a sorcerer would be limited to only cantrips and a very small amount of spells. They're very much more like a first edition spellcaster in that regard. Yeah. And warlocks only have a limited amount of spells, but they do get that short rest. So at least every eight hours with a full night's rest, they can get some of those back. I think if you put governors like that or all healing magic costs one spell level higher or to cast a healing spell, you are required to give yourself one level of exhaustion. Exhaustion. If you you are playing with rules like that – Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's more horrifying. and But I think you really do have to play with some of the dials and levers to be able to get that horror up. If we look at that adventure that we from the that was based on a southern style mythos that was yep. in the Radiant Citadel. The Radiant Citadel, uh, exactly what I was going to say. You yeah. know, that was definitely set at a lower tier for a reason because oh, no. common D&D characters won't be able to do much more uh, other than experience the horror of that situation. I agree yep. with you. I think 5e works, but you got to start playing with those dials and levers to really dial it in well. At that point, yeah, you're not taking a game that's 100% a horror game, right? You're taking a game and a second set of rules that they gave you yeah. to help you bring horror into your game, and you're building your own horror game. You have to make the, you have to make your own choices. I don't think that you could definitely cl- do class limitations. You can do a number of players limitation. I would definitely do a level cap as well. Van Richten's offers straight up. I won't call them full-on half classes, but quick characters, low-powered characters for that purpose. Because, yes, in order to truly experience horror, you have to feel at risk. Yep. But I disagree a little bit because I think that there are a lot of story elements that you can bring to your game that will bring more horror to the table as well before you even get into combat and injury, before anybody even takes a hit. If you play the right cards for separating people, and yeah. but you have to take a little bit more of a narrative hand to create horror. Isolating them. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing that I would caution with 5e, is it is, yep. to truly create a horror game for your players, it is going to be a little bit more, well, honestly, railroady. Your yeah. job is to make it not feel that way, because right. every story that you've ever written that goes from point A to point B, unless you give players infinite choice, yeah. is railroading. 
You just right. have to make it not feel that way. But you yeah. do have to take a little bit more of a narrative hand with it, which 5e isn't specifically designed for. Yeah. But it's totally doable. Let's not forget the scariest book that Wizards of the Coast has put out in the last few years. Spelljammer, right? Because of how awful yeah. it was, but that's... Yeah. It all depends on uh, the uh, people uh, you have at your table. When we talked about aliens, we said we had the right people. Right. Every player knew everything we were doing was a terrible idea. Every <laughs> yeah, player right. knew, turn this yeah. around, let's just get fired when we get back to Earth safe and sound. Right? Yeah, yeah, Every yeah. player knew that. Yeah, yeah. I knew not to climb up in there and clean out the yep. ventilation system, yep, even though that did. was my job. I knew that yep. was a bad choice. Yep. 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 So and that NPC knew not to go off with Steve Hughes' character when the Steve shot him in the back of the head. I knew it was going to happen. I yeah. actually wrote it down and sent, him, sent a secret message to Glenn Lay, he, or, or to uh, Mike, he, like he's dead. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. But yeah. I, I, in fact, I said, wait for it. If you have the right people at your table and you've had your good session zero, you can absolutely make that sing. They do like some of the specifics that are talked about in Ren Rectons. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Uh, I think that is our episode for this evening. We've gone through our two rounds, so everyone's got their games out there. Any honorable mentions for anybody before we go ahead and wrap up this evening? I would say Palladium's Dead Rain. I love that game. I could probably add in Beyond the Supernatural. I never cared for that game specifically that much. But I love Dead Rain. I love the zombie apocalypse nature of it. It was definitely, yep. again, in my short list. I do think the games I selected really rise to the top. I think yep. of at least the way I ran Dead Rain, it was definitely more of an adventure story a la Walking Dead than a horror yeah. story a la other things that could be done. But yeah. I do think uh, it has the elements of a good horror thing, yep. depending on where you are and the setup you have. And you even with, through the Palladium system could set that in space or wherever and still have it be really exciting and interesting. An excellent choice. A, a game that I don't know very much about, but I, I own, I actually haven't read through it, is another game by Free League, much like Aliens. It's a Nordic horror game called Vason that yes. is allegedly amazing, and I have not played through it, but I know it gets fantastic reviews. If anyone out there listening knows anything about Vason, I'd be very interested to go ahead and hear what those games are like, because it's totally up my alley. I just haven't read through the 400-page book, because the book is huge. I've heard good things about it. I, too, have not had a lot of experience with it. For an honorable mention, I have not actually fully played it myself. All right, half a game once with someone, but I'm getting ready to possibly learn to run it too when I finish Savage Worlds. But the Deadlands setting of the Weird West is a, a mm. good horror setting. Now, okay. it's going to be more good fun, Will Smith's Wild West horror style. It's going to be fun horror as opposed to completely terrifying, blood curdling horror, unless you make it that way. Yep. But it's a really great time with some really fun themes, and you, you can literally be going to an old haunted ghost town from an old west town that's really haunted. And, you yeah. know, it's fun. One other game that I want to mention, and only because it has this tangential relationship to one of my favorite kind of new indie RPGs. There's an RPG called Everybody is John, right? Where basically everybody at the table plays a voice in the main character's head, right? Uh, the main character is John goes on an adventure and everybody at the table plays a voice in their head and can manipulate how John goes through this adventure. It's supposed to be somewhat lighthearted and fun and everything like that. There's a take on that sort of game uh, with a game called Bluebeard's Bride where you play the bride and everybody at the table plays part of her psyche and bad things happen to Bluebeard's Bride and the people at the table need to reconcile with that. And it is it is not a game for every table. I will say that I know about. It is not a game for everybody, and it is not a game for every table. And it is exceptionally effective 
for that kind of like psychological horror. I have actually heard that, and I cannot remember where, whether it was somebody on our show I that talked to us been. about it or a podcast I listened to, but I've yeah. heard about it. There were some content warnings that came along yep. with that. Very uh, much so. Very so, much, yeah. But they were the kinds of warnings that I wouldn't probably play the game. There are things that I don't deal with. But that doesn't mean those things should not be dealt with in the game setting. They're yep. just not for me. And I think that was one of those ones that falls under that based on the content warning that I recall hearing. As one of my favorite podcasters and journalists often says, Kai Rizdahl, thank you, sir. Your mileage may vary. And buyer beware. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely has good reviews for people that it fits their particular uh, yep. genre or scratch. Agreed. Yeah, itch. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody, that is our show for this evening. Hope that you played some spooky RPGs. Please, we want to hear all about it. Check the uh, links in the show notes for how to reach us on Twitter or X or Blue Sky or on Facebook. We'd love to go ahead and hear what you, how you spent your Halloweens. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Appreciate your time, as always. We'll come back to you next week. Until then, have a good night, everybody. Good night, all. Later. Scare up some fun. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await. <laughs>